G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. On a Monday, we like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isles is Managing Director of the ACL and he is back with us. Martin, a special welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. It's good to be back. Martin, I just mentioned in our introduction, you're fresh back from the United States. Uh, Give us a little uh, insight into the sorts of things you were doing there, speaking at various events. Well, I I tried to stay under the radar a bit, but I think I failed. Um, I had a uh, couple of speaking engagements at the Answers for Pastors and Leaders Conference uh, in Kentucky, uh, which is run by the Answers in Genesis organization. Uh, And between one and 2,000, I genuinely don't know where uh, in between that number, but one to 2,000 pastors and church leaders came along to that, and I spoke twice uh, and was extremely well received. Um, And then uh, it sort of flowed from there. I mean, I was welcomed into people's homes. I was uh, taken to people's churches. I was asked to contribute and tell people about the Australian situation. And I was able to share a lot of the religious freedom challenges that are emerging here and how they might be a little more severe than some of the things they're dealing with in America and sort of what to prepare for and some biblical exhortations, much like the sorts of exhortations I'm offering Uh, at the Babylon events, which is, well, how do we as Christians live in a more hostile and more difficult culture? Well, you spoke that event there with the answers, people, and I know listeners will recognise the Ken Ham name, and I've been communicating with Ken because we're setting up another segment with him coming up very, very soon, and he mentioned Martin Isles was just here. And there was a particular compliment that I just want to pass on to you, Martin. Ken said he hasn't seen a standing ovation like he has seen for you in a very long time. So that might be, uh, you know, I know you've got a uh, you've got a, a level head on your shoulders, but it, it's a significant compliment, and it's something that we can look forward to this coming Friday night because you're preparing for a major event, the Truth of It Live event, the Babylon series, uh, the culmination happening this Friday night in Melbourne. A little insight here into uh, what sort of things you'll be sharing in Melbourne on Friday? Yeah, so it's been a trilogy. We did Sydney first, Canberra second, Melbourne is lucky last, but uh, Melbourne will be by far the largest. We have 4,000 people coming so far, registrations are not yet closed, so that number will probably significantly increase by the time Friday rolls around. So uh, the idea here is that these three events have come under the banner called Babylon. It's the Babylon Trilogy. And the idea is to just understand how do we live as Christians in our own modern-day Babylon. And when I say Babylon, I mean you know the Babylon in the Bible, which is that empire that God's people were swallowed up inside of for a time, uh, and they had to learn, like Daniel, how to serve God, how to live for God, and how to navigate the cultural challenges in very practical ways that presented to them. And so uh, in Canberra in particular, I, I went through the story of Daniel and just talked about how that he faced very real challenges that look exactly like the challenges that we're facing today in our daily lives. 
and how he served God in each situation and how we can learn from his life. And that was really well received. People uh, thoroughly found that people found that thoroughly helpful. Melbourne will be, it's interesting, the Sydney Morning Herald called this trilogy of events a fire and brimstone roadshow. Uh, and I'm afraid I haven't lived up to that. There hasn't been much fire and brimstone in Sydney or Canberra. Uh, but in Melbourne, uh, we might get close because Melbourne, of course, is all about the, the destiny of Babylon, the fall of the empires of this world and the powers of this world that are hostile to God. And again, as Christians, how should we be thinking about that? How should we be living in the light of it? But a very popular series so far. People uh, say that they have found it. Uh, genuinely helpful and in- incredibly fortifying and encouraging to stand with thousands of people who are on the same page uh, to uh, sing, to uh, engage and to hear God's word and to see also the great things that are going on in the public squares of our nation through groups like ACL and the Human Rights Law Alliance. Well, there might be many generations since we've been able to make the sorts of alignments we can perhaps see now of Babylon in our modern-day Australia. And uh, let's come to some of the issues you're dealing with this week. Uh, The return of some discussion around anti-discrimination laws uh, and religion. So you've got the Federal Attorney-General, Mark Dreyfus, He's asked the Australian Law Reform Commission to review the country's religious exemptions for schools in federal anti-discrimination law. Uh, give us your insights into where things are at with this and uh, whether you think this is adequate. Well, yes. So speaking of an increasingly hostile society, there's lots of things going on. And it's a hard time uh, in our history to be a Christian school. That's for sure, Neil. They're already facing a lot of pressures, especially in states like Victoria, where the government is trying to uh, make certain woke teachings and things like that uh, essential to their ongoing accreditation. I've spoken to principals and they're really struggling. But now you have a really crucial thing happening for the whole nation, which is that the federal government uh, have decided to review the Sex Discrimination Act, Section 38. Now, what that section does is it is a law that enables Christian schools to uh, choose staff that share their values. And of course, you can't really have a Christian school environment without Christian staff who share their values. It doesn't work. So that's a crucial protection. But also it enables Christian schools to uphold codes of conduct in the school that are Christian in nature. So, for example, they might say, look, we have boys and girls toilets and boys and girls uniforms and boys and girls sleeping quarters in camps. We don't do the whole transitioning transgender thing. We make other arrangements for those students. We're not going to change the rules in the school. Or they might say, look, um, we don't host um, LGBT political clubs or Black Lives Matter political clubs uh, on, on school grounds. That's not, that's not in line with our ethos. Or actually, it's compulsory for students to attend chapel. Students should come to chapel each week um, and, you know, the teachings in chapel are not discriminatory. They're from the Word of God. They're from the Bible. So to be able to run their school according to their Christian values in relation to the student body, the policies that they have and the staff that they choose, that's just crucial to the existence of a Christian school. It's not a Christian school anymore. It's just a school like a government school, which many parents are concerned about with the ideologies being taught there at the moment. The reason these changes to the Sex Discrimination Act, therefore, are challenging is because they are going to take away Christian schools' freedoms uh, to, uh, to operate that way in all likelihood. So the government has written to the Law Reform Commission and they've said, look, we want you to write us a report about how we should change these laws. 
But uh, we want your report to ensure uh, certain things, uh, that there's non-discrimination against uh, students, against teachers, uh, and the only exception they've allowed is to say, look, uh, we're willing to consider uh, the right of a Christian school to prefer a staff member for employment who identifies as the same religion, which really isn't good enough because the problem we have is that people show up and they say, yeah, I'm a Presbyterian. I've been a Presbyterian all my life. Uh, and I go to Presbyterian church once a month and I believe in the Presbyterian creeds. But of course, they might be in the same sex relationship or they might come into the school grounds and they might teach uh, political ideologies that are opposed to the Christian faith or they might do other things that are inconsistent with Christian values. And if the school turns around and says to that staff member, hey, you're out of line. Uh, we need to do something about this. The staff member will say, you're discriminating against me on the basis of my sexual orientation or my transgender identity or my political persuasion because I identify as a Presbyterian and so my religion is the same as yours. That's the legal uh, hole that schools are going to find themselves in based on the terms of reference here. So a tough time to be a Christian school, really challenging uh, headwinds coming in terms of proposed changes here to the law. Um, and this is something that we're going to really engage heavily on. I know the Christian schools organisations will engage heavily on, and I just encourage people to be aware of this, uh, and we don't want to see Christian schooling go the way of the dinosaur in our generation. Uh, we want to mount a serious campaign here. So it's a watch and wait. Uh, nothing's uh, really happening like crazy at the moment, but there's a, there's, a, there's a worrying headwind with this comment from the government today. So broadening the terms of reference around this issue, uh, you're suggesting something that doesn't sound like it's very far from common sense, the thought that faith-based organisations have the same rights as political parties uh, and mm. other value-based organisations to be able to choose their own staff. That doesn't sound like it's you know a nonsensical way mm. to go. It actually sounds quite simple. Yeah, you actually made a very crucial point, Neil. I mean, uh, it's amazing that the politicians want to take away the rights of Christian schools to prefer Christian staff and to have Christian codes of conduct for their students when they themselves enjoy the same rights and they're not taking away their own rights. The rights they enjoy are rights to prefer staff who uphold their political ethos. Uh, rights to ensure that they can have codes of conduct that are consistent with their political ethos. Of course, because you can't have a Liberal Party if it's full of Greens members. It ceases to be <laughs> the Liberal Party. You can't have a Labor Party if people are espousing Socialist Alliance values. It ceases to be the Labor Party. Uh, it's the same for Christian schools. You can't have a Christian school if you don't have Christian principles enforced, if you don't have Christian staff. So they, what's good for the goose is not good for the gander here, for the for the Labor Party, the Labor government. They want to take away the rights of Christian schools and Christian entities, but they want to hang on to their own rights. And so it's hard not to see this as a bit of a targeted attack uh, on Christian schools. And that's what bothers me. It's a very hard point to make publicly in a way that people accept, but we're sure going to have to try. And the encouragement for listeners, uh, check the ACL website uh, for ways that you can be in touch with your local MP or have your voice heard. Uh, another issue, and uh, running short of time as always, uh, there's so many issues to cover, reports on human trafficking in Australia. Uh, what's happening, Martin? More evidence come to light. 
Well, I'll be brief, Neil, but um, I think it's important that listeners understand something about the prostitution industry in Australia. And that is that in Australia, in the prostitution industry right now, you have a lot of slaves. You have a lot of trafficked women, especially from Southeast Asia. And there are women right this very moment who have had their passports taken away from them and who are living in slave-like conditions, uh, and they are being prostituted uh, in suburban brothels around the country. It's, a, it's probably a little-known, swept-under-the-carpet fact about Australia that we are a major trafficking destination for women, especially from Southeast Asia. Now, the Albanese government's done a good thing. They've signed a deal with Singapore last week to uh, get tougher on this and to try and stop the exploitation of migrants. Border Force is having a meeting about it. Uh, but the problem is that in South Australia and Queensland, there are politicians who want to put up com- laws that completely deregulate the prostitution industry, despite these problems. Uh, ACL has a better idea. We'd like to pass laws that actually criminalise the purchase of prostitutes, make it a criminal offence. It's unusual, but the countries that have done this, uh, particularly Nordic countries, have seen a massive drop in trafficking. It's very, very effective because it stops the demand. Uh, We have an information session in Queensland, in Brisbane, 7pm tomorrow night. Uh, You go to our website, the information will be there. For people who are interested to learn more about that law reform, as we build momentum in Queensland and South Australia to try and counter these proposals to decriminalise and deregulate prostitution with a better solution, which is actually to criminalise not trafficked women, not women who have had their passports taken off them and are in these sort of dreadful circumstances, but those who would seek to purchase them. They need to be the criminals. And it works. We've seen it work overseas. Uh, So tomorrow night in Queensland, 7pm, get the details of where that meeting is going to be held uh, there at the ACL website. Hey, uh, it comes around every now and then. It seems to be defeated frequently, but then every time it's defeated, we say it'll probably be back again. Now, in South Australia, a Greens MLC, uh, Robert Sims, is making calls to abolish the Lord's Prayer at the start of their Parliament Day. Uh, What's the latest on this one, Martin? Well, I think he's unlikely to be successful in this, so that's good. But, uh, you know, people sometimes fall into this hole of thinking, oh, well, Australia is, you know, a multicultural, multi-faith, pluralistic society. Maybe we should get rid of the Lord's Prayer at the start of Parliament. I just want to say I don't think like that. Uh, I'm much more basic. I say, well, hang on, is it, is it a good thing to pray at the start of the day in Parliament? Yes. Is it a good thing to invoke God's blessing on the government business of the day? Yes. Uh, Do parliamentarians voluntarily attend those prayers every morning because they actually want to pray? Yes. Okay, so therefore, is it the right thing to keep it there? Of course it is. Uh, And all this is is a a, a chest-beating exercise by those who are atheistic and really want to throw out our Christian heritage and want to throw out every uh, trace of God that is in public life. Uh, And so I will stand against that as well. Uh, So it is a wrong call. Uh, Fortunately, uh, this Greens uh, MLC probably won't succeed because of the faith backgrounds of both the opposition leader and the Premier in South Australia. But I wanted to make that point because people can sometimes get a little bit foggy-eyed on this. Uh, And actually, it's very important that that Lord's Prayer stays, especially for those parliamentarians who are there willingly each morning to participate. And Martin, before I let you go, coming back to this Friday night's event in Melbourne. Uh, Interestingly, timing, 
uh, very close to the election that's coming up, the state election in Victoria. Uh, in Melbourne on Friday night, you said there's already 4,000 tickets sold and there's plenty more available. So uh, for listeners, uh, acl.org.au. Uh, your encouragement here, Martin, can you live stream the Friday night event from wherever you might be listening today right around Australia? Yes, most definitely. I would say to people, follow the Australian Christian Lobby Facebook page or subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, and the live stream will go out around the country on Friday night. We normally get thousands of people tuning into that. Uh, It'll be high quality, so uh, very enjoyable. Uh, And look, it will genuinely be strengthening and it will be genuinely illuminating uh, because we as Christians, uh, at a time when everything seems to be are getting tougher. We as Christians need to hold fast to that which is good, and we also need that clarity to see what we should be doing in days like these. Otherwise, they'll defeat us. So it really is important. I'd encourage people to come along. Um, it's going to be a fantastic event and, and the finale to our Babylon trilogy. And as you say, Neil, it is right in the shadow of, or right in the, the, the lead up to the Victorian state election. So we might have a thing or two to say about that uh, as well. And for listeners who've missed the first two presentations, they are available on YouTube or there'll be some sort of a link on the ACL website. And uh, as you said, Martin, maybe this will be the closest you get to fire and brimstone uh, on Friday night. So some listeners might be hanging on the edge of their chair uh, waiting for those fire and brimstone moments. Uh, Martin Isles is Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby acl.org.au Martin, thanks so much for your update once again today on 2020 Thanks once again, Neil Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media To find out more about us go to vision.org.au 